to whatever degree that you were successful in the in the guided meditation tonight. It was real designed to give us a sense of path, the noble eightfold path. Remember this path that the Buddha laid out is not so much about attainment in the usual sense of the word that we're trying to attain or get something. It's much more about recognizing or realizing what can be shed, what can be let go of. And part of what will be rich, I'm guessing, for a number of us during this seven-week class is bumping up against whatever helplessness or ideas that, uh, you know, sort of cynical ideas about we're screwed, you know, or maybe you, but with this mind and this conditioning, there's just, there's real, really no freedom to be found. There's no way to realize um, a freedom, a release from what burdens my mind and heart. So we all have doubt. Everyone probably in the room has some doubt or some um, sense that uh, mistrust maybe of the path. Maybe not everyone, but most of us to some to some degree have some mistrust or doubt. And it's really nice to be able to, to have permission to put that on the table in your small groups, but also in the large group. And this is a path of investigation. It's not a path of belief. Belief actually won't help you. Well, to some degree, faith on that, on that, on that sometimes we call it borrowed faith, you know, like we hear something, it's interesting. It can be useful to, enough to get us to check something out. So on that level, faith or belief can be useful because it can get us off the couch. Okay, I'll check it out. I'll see if there's something actually here in this practice. I'm guessing in this room, there's dozens of us who have had an experience or many experiences where we realize something about the heart, the mind, the way it is that matches, that fits, aligns with some of the Buddhist teachings and the heart and discovering that was moved. I can remember many times crying in my practice, tears of happiness or gratitude about just seeing things that aligned with the Buddhist teachings and just feeling so supported by them and having so much gratitude that like this experience lines up with all of these other people's experience. And so it creates a lot of possibilities. Well, if that's true, maybe this other stuff is true too. So in the guided meditation tonight, you know, just the, like I mentioned, the Buddha described his path of practice as a path of effort. Without effort, 
there's nothing changes. You know, there's a tendency for things just to keep repeating themselves unless the mind is directed in a, in a, against the grain, against the force of habit. Otherwise, the force of habit just keeps things moving on in the very same way they've been moving on in the past. But when the mind makes an effort like to instead of doing this and that, to sit down and hold the body relatively still, even on that level, you know, not even directing your attention anywhere, but just sitting down in a quiet place for 30 minutes, that effort to do that has an effect. The mind, the mind stream, like how things unfold from that moment on, will forever be um, coming out of the experience of having of having sat down for 30 minutes in that quiet way. Whatever this is that's unfolding now for me, it is coming out of everything that happened before. So every time we make the effort to experiment by directing the attention to love or directing the attention back to the breath or back to the present moment, or back to the non-clinging in the present moment, or something like that training, it forever changes the mind stream. Because now that stream is flowing out of the mind that did that intentional action. It's the same thing if I go murder somebody, it forever changes the mind stream. Because forever, a moment after that, it will be some kind of continuation from the mind in one moment that said, yeah, I can go kill that person, it's okay. Or I can take that thing that's not mine. Or I can say that mean thing to that person. So whatever happens is going to be you know, in alignment or coming out of that one moment where that intention was in that way that led to that action or those words or that thought. So the whole walking of the path is this skillful investigation of skillful action and unskillful action. Just directly in our laboratory of our present moment experience, we're experimenting with action, intentional action. And generally, like in our formal meditation, the action is on the level of how what we're doing with the mind directing attention. It's not like we're lifting something up. That's not so much the action that we're looking at the consequences of. But these very subtle actions of mind, like what are we doing with the attention? And then what is the result of having done that with the attention? And so if you still have a lot of confidence in just letting the mind do what it wants to do, at least a get interested in like, well, what's the result of sitting down for 30 minutes and just letting the mind do whatever it wants to do? See what the result is. Because that will change. Because that's an intentional action too. Being interested in results, that's, that's investigation. And now, the mind stream is going to include having spent 30 minutes or however many moments during that 30 minute sit where you were investigating, like, what are the consequences of not directing the attention? 
So whatever you do, can you be interested in the results of it? And this is really, you know, covers the, the first part of the Eightfold Path because uh, some of you may not know, but uh, the, the Eightfold Path gets often talked about in a more simple way as three pieces, the wisdom piece, the ethical conduct piece, sila, and the mental training piece, samadhi. So in the wisdom piece, right view piece, it includes the view in the mind and the intention in the mind. And the way, the basic way the Buddha talked about right view, this sort of important element of wisdom, is understanding things in terms of karma, cause and effect. We live in a conditional world. Things are unfolding conditionally. And the not seeing that is called ignorance in a very basic way. A human being that, you know, like you and me, in those moments in our life where we're unaware of karma, that means that uh, when really good things happen to us, we just assume it was luck. You know, I'm so lucky this happened to me. Or when really bad things happen to me or us, you know, we, we have some real simplistic idea. As opposed to, well, whatever it is that's happening to me, it's lawful. It's just the lawful unfolding of all of that, whatever it is coming before it. All the good things, all the bad things. And it, I'm not saying, and you know, a lot of people misinterpret the law of karma as somehow it's personal. So like when I get cancer, it's personal. I did something wrong. Or when I win the lottery or, you know, end up getting the job of my dreams. It's personal. I must have done something great. I must be great that this good thing happened to me. But it's not that. It's, it's more simple than that. It's just, there's really no arguing this. So if you find yourself arguing with karma, it means you don't understand it. Because all the law of karma is saying is that this is because of everything that was behind it, making it this way. And without all of that, that led to this, there wouldn't be this. That's all it's saying. But the question is, can we keep bringing it to mind so that that we don't fall into these different ways? You know, sometimes we call it magical thinking. And we have many, many ways to get lost in magical thinking. You know, where we we paint a picture about why things are the way that they are that somehow is not grounded in this basic reality of things unfolding conditionally. So then the question is, well, how do we participate in that world of things unfolding conditionally? So let's just take it, you don't even need to believe it, but just experiment. Well, if things unfold conditionally, then how the mind is relating, everything that I do 
Like now, now we're not even talking about those of you who were in the class last in the winter. You know, we talked about anatta, the teachings on anatta, uh, not self teachings. But let's just put that aside. So here I am, an independent operator in this world that I'm living in. And absolutely everything that I do, every thought that I think, every way I direct my attention, every physical action, mental action, action of words, speech, is then part of this, it sets in motion something. It affects this conditional unfolding, as does everything else, of course. So all of a sudden, how we are in the moment is relevant. That's the thing about karma. This is the, this is why it's such a brilliant, for, from the Buddhist, you know, teaching, trying to teach people to be, to be more free. It's a brilliant thing to lead with because to the, to the degree that we can be convinced to take the law of karma seriously, to give it the attention it deserves, it will naturally, the effect of holding the view of karma, living out of the view of karma is everything I'm thinking, saying, and doing matters. It just like delivers us to a sense of responsibility, which means we're engaged. It uproots the tendency we human beings have to be feel helpless and passive and feel like, why not watch, you know, and you just fill in the blank, whatever your, what do they call them, guilty pleasure it might be. You know, because it makes, when we feel like doomed, not in, I'm, that's a little provocative to say it that way, but when we feel swept along by life, you know, just, you're born, you live, you die. Sometimes good things happen, sometimes bad things happen. I might as well take advantage of the entertainments that are available to me. <laughs> and, and kind of sweeten the ride a little bit. It just, isn't that kind of the logic? That's the logic that goes through my mind. And I'm assuming it's similar to other people. So we just sweeten the ride and smooth it out and make it a little bit more tolerable. But it's based on that there are consequences. So what is the consequence to letting the mind become more and more dependent on distraction, even relatively wholesome distractions? We assume there isn't a consequence, which is why we allow ourselves to indulge in these consequences. I'm not beyond this at all. So when we, but when I cultivate the perception of karma, I Work. I train my mind to remember this way of perceiving, and it just so happens that this way of perceiving then gets reinforced because as I look at my present moment experience through this lens of karma, the present moment reverberates it back because that view just happens to resonate with the way it is. So it, it like, uh, you get some energy when you look at life with the lens of karma. And it creates this beautiful vigilance, not vigilance in a sense of getting tight. You know, that's the, the word is quite nice. It's just our way we, connotations the word now has, often we feel tight, like if you're being vigilant, it means get tight. But a vigil, right, it's like 
it's like a sense of respect, like this matters, it's worthy of staying awake, it's worthy of showing up this moment, because whatever the mind's doing, it's affecting everything from that moment forward. Whatever unfolds will always have been affected by how the mind is right now. The actions of the mind, the actions of speech, the actions of body are forever affecting what's unfolding here. It's like there's a great line from Padmasa Sambhava, this great Buddhist saint who was part of bringing uh, the sort of movement of Buddhism up into Tibet way back when. And uh, he had this wonderful line, although, something like, although my view, my understanding is as vast as the sky, which means sort of pointing to this profound, deep, Understanding of anatta, the the emptiness, the non-fixedness of self. Although I have that broad, huge, infinite view of things, my attention to karma is as fine as a grain of barley flour. Now, if you've ever done this with barley flour, you realize the grains of barley flour are very, very fine. Silky, they're so small. And that's like uh, the respect. So an awake person isn't exempt from karma. They, A fully awake person has found, because of their respect for karma, the law, the, of, the, the law of the conditional unfolding, the lawful unfolding, because of one's respect for that, they've come so in alignment, this is what we learned in the last course, that the view, the not-self view, not imposing or projecting a fixed self in our experience, on our experience, that is the natural result of respecting karma profoundly. When we really respect the conditional unfolding, we're not going to want to even do the action of imposing or projecting a sense of self in the moment because there are consequences to even that subtle activity of having the sense that this is personal has karmic consequences. So it gets teased out. That's what an enlightened, from a Buddhist point of view, an enlightened person is somebody who through careful attention has teased out the habit of projecting a center to experience because they've seen very carefully over and over again the unwholesome consequences of projecting a self on experience and how liberating it is when that ceases, when that activity of projecting a self ceases, even for a moment. That's a karmic act in the same way that, you know, in a very gross way, killing somebody or stealing something or insulting somebody is a karmic act. There will be consequences to it. In the most subtle way, having the uh, sense that I'm here in a fixed way is a karmic act. It has consequences. The world is different because of that projection. And just in the same way that when the mind in a moment is not projecting a center to our experience, the world is different. The consequence of non, 
that non-projection of self is profound. Things are different. And we know this already being, you know, having, not having had full awakening, we still know this experience because we know when we're strongly projecting a center, a self, like what unfolds from that? The defensiveness, for example, that unfolds from that. The awkwardness, the uh, jealousy, the hatred, the neediness that unfolds from the dependency that unfolds from that strong sense of a me inhabiting the center of my experience, this experience. And how light and free the other moments are when the mind isn't doing that to the same degree or not at all, even in some moments. So, uh, in the next weeks, um, we're going to be spending this seven-week period talking about this part of wisdom, which is karma, really appreciating karma, which is another way of saying really appreciating the power of intention, intentional actions, which include in the what the mind is doing, because that's intended. The mind, the thinking mind, the judging mind, the way that we direct our attention, those are all karmic acts, intentional acts. In the same way, punching somebody or picking up something is an intentional act, or saying something or not saying something is an intentional act. So we're going to be really interested in that. This is the second part. So the first part of the Eightfold Path is right view. And so just in terms of our study, we can think about right view in terms of sustaining a perception of karma, the conditional unfolding, the lawful unfolding, and that intentions matter because that's part of how things unfold. And then the second part of the Eightfold Path that's also under the category of wisdom is right intention or right resolve or sometimes translated as right thought. Thoughts of goodwill, thoughts of renunciation, thoughts of non-cruelty or compassion. These are right thoughts or right resolves that come out of this view of karma. You see, so it's the natural result, like, this is what I want to do with my mind, this is how I want to direct my mind, understanding that everything matters, intentional actions matter, I want my intentional actions to have the flavor of renunciation, or generosity, or letting go, contentedness. I want my intentional actions, my thoughts, the movements of my mind to have the flavor of goodwill, or non-cruelty, compassion. Because it sets in motion a good feeling. I mean, on the most basic level, there's positive fruits to those intentional actions. Now, this is something we can directly check out. We don't have to take this on faith. Like, even tonight, maybe you did that when I suggested, you know, well, direct your mind towards love. I didn't say I gave you a couple of ways, but basically any way will work. Any way you, the mind is actually directing itself toward real love, which is a willingness to include, a willingness to care, to appreciate, to forgive, to be grateful, 
And you'll see directly the karmic fruit is the heart, the mind, or whatever you want to call this, it feels better. So, like the Buddha said, this path works immediately, you know, right now, in the middle, in the end. It's good all the way through. We don't have to wait till later to see how it works. And that's important because if it's not working, then maybe we don't understand what we're doing. And then we go back to study. We ask questions. We return to the teachings or the teacher or a good respected friend who you know is a sincere practitioner. And you, you kind of discuss what you're learning, what you know. Because I'm not getting results. And this is important because, you know, I think, this is, maybe it's not just my theory, but something that's come to my mind quite a bit, you know, the reason we're, we haven't made as much progress and that we've given up a lot of, you know, systems of practice over the years is not necessarily because they don't work, but because our, either we didn't understand it sufficiently to set it in motion, or we weren't patient enough in our application. Or we didn't notice the positive effects. Because what really sets in motion the sincerity and dedication and, you know, joyful application to a wholesome life, a wholesome way of training the mind, is when you see that it works. Human beings clearly aren't afraid of work when there are positive results that they're seeing. I remember, people have heard me say this, you know, I remember way back, and it's probably 84, 1984, and I was living in Berkeley at the time and practicing pretty uh, wholeheartedly. I lived with somebody who was also a serious practitioner. We said every morning and every evening together. And uh, I remember one time coming back from work and sitting down with my good friend Peter and uh, just we were just sitting in his bedroom 30 minutes or so before we had our dinner together. And, uh, you know, I just got a little samadhi. My mind settled down. And it was just like uh, so much confidence and faith, like, I basically, in a very kind of self-centered way, I said, I did this, you know. I did this with my mind, and I got this result. And that's amazing. I mean, it felt really amazing. Like, I could always do this. You know, really seeing the lawfulness. When you direct your mind in this way, when you make this kind of effort, and there are these other supporting conditions, then this is what happens to the mind. And in so many other little and big ways, discovering the lawfulness of this, this reality we all inhabit together. There is a way to illuminate the lawfulness of life. We don't need to go through blindly, which is how we feel and what makes us feel so betrayed by life. You know that, because outwardly, there's not a lot you know, that, you know, we can do with the genetics of our bodies or the sort of political, social, economic 
winds that blow this way and that way. There's not much we can do about that stuff. Little influences here and there, but not too much. But we're not empty-handed. There's a lot we can do by understanding the mind and really putting our attention there less than putting our attention in controlling the external conditions, how the body is, how we are, how the circumstances around us are. So in the small groups tonight, you might want to uh, just practice talking about your confidence in karma, your understanding of karma, just articulating, and even if it feels silly, your understanding of what karma is, like just try out, like what do you know about the lawfulness, this particular view? You could go on a tirade why you don't think it's true or you think it's wrong in some way. But just to out loud in the context of two wise, stable friends sitting there just holding the space with a even calm, loving attention, you know, just to reflect on what we call wise view and wise intentions that flow out of wise view. And look at the normal views. You could also share in your small groups, like, what is your normal world view that you're living out of? Well, I just got to get this done. I mean, a lot of us, our religion is to our to-do list because we never think about it but there's this underlying philosophy or religious belief that if I get my to-do list done, I will be in heaven. I'll be happy. Or something like that. Or whatever. If it's not your to-do list, it's some, you know, fix it. Lose weight. Find a partner. You know, get out of debt. Get a job. You know, whatever it might be. Then, and that's our, that's our view. We don't see it. It's so, omnipresent, we don't actually see, oh my God, that's ridiculous. To think that that is the skillful way to be a happy, loving, wise human being. So that's something you can do in your small group. You can, it's like a confessional. (laughs) Yeah, this is the worldview I live out of sometimes. And these are the consequences now that I'm beginning to discern. And another thing you can do in your small group, another kind of angle on your sharing might be how places in your life where you've been able to make effort, because this is a path of effort, so to to look at other places and what were the supporting causes that allowed you to apply yourself to some project, some task at hand. What inspired that? Because we need to keep coming back. It's not enough to be inspired during one talk, but how do we sustain our interest in this perception of karma all day long tomorrow? And not make it this huge burden that we then give up after five minutes because it's just so clunky to try to see things through the eyes of karma all day long. Now, How do we kind of make it a useful tool? And how have you done that in other ways in your life? really applied yourself and saw then 
the positive consequences of that application. That would be another thing to share in the small groups tonight.